Having considered the fourth commandment this morning, let us consider together from Exodus 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment. It's very simply is this, and you'll notice this of the next several. It's just one sentence, one verse. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And let us pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for this commandment. We recognize that you are the Lord and giver of life. You're the giver of long life, just as you were the giver of the land to Israel. And uh, you are the one who not not only gives, but also commands and uh, and rules. And that is a rule which we are seeking, O God, to submit to, however difficult we might find it. And we ask you, as you express your will for your people still today in the Ten Commandments, and yes, all ten. We ask you that we would have a heart and a mind to receive what you have to say to us now from the fifth commandment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here is a command which has to do with authority. And in connection with that, order and submission. Those would be the three key words I would wish to highlight about this commandment. Authority, order, submission. As soon as I say those three words, uh, I mean, there's even part of me as a modern man which, which shudders at the thought of them. These are ideas which man hates. I suppose man has always hated, but there is something especially today uh, which man despises about these ideas. Nevertheless, in this command, the fifth commandment, God is telling us to honor all those he's placed in authority over us. Implicit, then, in this is the recognition that whatever order we find in this world is there because God has placed it there. There is a certain order. And authority structure that we are to recognize and to honor. And by this, recognizing uh, the presence of an ordered creation, God wishes us to recognize his authority in our lives. Remember, uh, I have at least found this very beneficial as we're thinking of how we ever got to Sinai. Remember all that we've read in Genesis already. In fact... I just I just now remembered saying this, and I said this often. Genesis tells us how we got to Sinai. At least that's how I preached it. This is Moses telling us how we ever got to this point. The giving of the law. And it goes all the way back to creation. And there in creation we find God structuring and ordering the world in a certain way. And when you read uh, the Old Testament in this way, beginning in Genesis 1 up to Exodus 20, everything that God says makes sense. The emphasis on marriage. In the seventh commandment, the emphasis on life in the sixth commandment, the emphasis of the Sabbath, given what we read in Genesis chapter two and so on and so forth. Fifth commandment is exactly the same way. The ordered creation in which we live, this applies not only to parents, but also to husbands in the home. It applies to rulers in the state and rulers in the church whom we call elders. But coming back to the the hatred which man has for this, and even which we in our own sinful tendencies feel in our hearts, a hatred of authority, despising authority. Man in his heart hates this idea so much that he's always thinking of ways to rebel and to tear down God's order and thus his authority. If only God or if only man rather could get rid of God's order, he could get rid of God himself or so he thinks, which is what. It seems every revolutionary ethic has in common, and there's more than enough revolutionary thinking in our society today. It all has in common this single point, a disdain for God himself, a desire to be rid of him. 
so that man, he thinks, could live as he pleases. But the trouble with, with resenting authority is that all true authority and order in creation is a reflection of God's authority and his wise ordering of the world he has made and a world he has made, as we know, for us to live in and to enjoy and to thrive in. Not apart from God, but under God. And yet, in his hatred of this idea, this whole idea, as I'm presenting it, man reveals how much he hates his creator and how much man desires to be the Lord of his own life rather than to acknowledge the Lord who made him and who made the world in which he lives. Well, already, you see, I'm arguing for what I would call a broad view of the fifth commandment. Not a narrow, but a broad view. And this is how it's always been treated. For instance, listen to what the Shorter Catechism has to say. You notice it speaks not merely of the home, but of every authority structure which God has instituted. Question 64, what is required in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment requireth the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors are equal to everyone in their several places and relations. Question 65, what is forbidden in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment forbiddeth the neglecting of or doing anything against the honor and duty which belongeth to everyone in their several places and relations. That is what I would call a broad view of the fifth commandment. And that broad view is how the church historically has understood the fifth commandment. It's what we find, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul speaks of the home uh, but then he goes on to speak of the master-servant relationship, which also existed in the home. And so this idea includes all who are in authority, just as it includes all who are in submission in their various places and relations, to use the language of the catechism, not just children and parents, servants and masters, but citizens and rulers. Romans chapter 13, the sheep and the shepherds or the elders Hebrews chapter 13 and so many other passages along those lines. And yet, having said that, speaking of the broader view of the fifth commandment, I would uh, immediately say that I am in no hurry to get to that broader view. But that my great desire is to really emphasize and focus upon the home, since that's the focus of this passage. One of the things I hope to argue is that the broader structures themselves, whether the church or the state or whatever, depend upon this more limited unit that we call the family or the household. And that's how the fifth commandment is presented to us. It doesn't say honor all those in authority, although it does imply that. It simply concerns specifically the relation between the parents and the children. The children, it says, are to honor the parents that their life may go well in the land. It presents the relationship between these two in terms of an authority structure. You see, they're not equals, but one is set over the other. The parents over the children. The children are to recognize this, as with these other things. Speaking of the duties and responsibility of children to their parents. Children, honor your parents, your father and your mother. And so without limiting the idea to the family... We really must say that the family is stressed here for a very important reason. And I want to explore what that reason is. The family is the most fundamental and the most basic human institution. Again, remember how we got here. Don't read the Ten Commandments in isolation, but remember everything that has led up to this point. 
When I say human, I don't mean man-made. I mean that it consists of humans. It is a structure in which human relationships exist and ideally flourish. The family is one such unit. And that is because the family, as well as the state and other things, has its sanction from God. Well, let us look why the family would come, or let us ask, rather, why the family would come first in our consideration of this subject. And the first obvious answer is that the family does quite literally come first. It is the first thing God does after he makes man. He brings him into this relation, first by giving him his wife, and then through his wife by giving him sons. The first structure that we find in human society is the family. Adam, his wife, and his children. And so it's clear, reading Genesis as the backdrop of the Ten Commandments, that before there was anything else, a state or any kind of human institution, there was the family. And every other institution came into being, not apart from this, but as a result of this. And so let us see, first of all, that the family itself is foundational to all other institutions and to society itself. More and more we are finding that men are placing the priority elsewhere. Not on the family, but in the state, or in the workforce, or in the academy, or perhaps more generally in society and in culture. But these things are nothing if they're not undergirded by the family. And the more the family breaks down, as it is doing today, the more we will see these things break down as well. Every other human institution, I believe we're witnessing this in real time. Society is collapsing because the family is collapsing. But the other way in which we can obviously see that the family has a priority in terms of human institutions and authority structures, is that we literally begin there. All of us, every single one of us, begins in the home. Every single one of us came into this world by our mothers. And then we had parents who raised us and prepared us to join these other institutions. You don't begin in the state or in the school or any other place. You begin in the home. And so the family comes first in these two senses, both in terms of priority and in terms of time or order. But that leads me now to speak of the blessings of the family, which is one of the things that I think the Lord wants us to see here, thinking in terms of the priority of the family, so the blessings of the family and of family life. As our society argues more and more for the opposite, let us be sure that as Christians who know their Bibles and who have some understanding of the world God has made, God has made, Let us be sure that we are contending for the family. There's nothing like it. Let me uh, just give you uh, a personal word here. All I've ever wanted since I was a young man was for God to give me a wife and children. And now that he has, I praise him every day for it. Uh, One of the greatest, if not the greatest blessing the Lord can give a man in this world. It never ceases to amaze me that any man ever wanted anything else. But Satan is so clever at his game. He's always trying to convince us that the best things are actually the worst things. And that which will make us miserable. What could be worse, he says, than being tied down by children? And it really does seem that man has come to believe this. We live in such a selfish age. 
But look at what God is saying here in the fifth commandment. Children, honor your parents that it may go well with you in the land I am about to give you. In other words, what you find in the fifth commandment is that God is describing a comprehensive view of life. He isn't just saying children obey your parents or honor your parents, but he's saying that it may go well with you. That you may live long in the land I'm about to give you. He is uh, describing, in other words, as I just said, a comprehensive view of life. He's saying, I want you to look at the totality of the life you're about to live. And all of the blessings I have for you in terms of the foundation and the starting point, which is your relationship with your parents and your life in the home. He's telling us how to live well and long. Again, it depends and it begins in the home. Now, think of this. The child who is a rebel, the child who never listens to his parents, is the one who is sure to go all wrong in life. He's even likely to die young. But the child who honors his parents is the one who's on his way to a happy life. And we can even see in the harmony that, that exists in the home when he's young, from an early life, how happy his life already is. This is the way to live, God is saying. To live a long and a happy life. Well, why is this necessary? It's because the home is a training ground for life. And children lack the wisdom and the knowledge to face it on their own. And so God gave little children parents in order to help them and to guide them and to teach them. In other words, the reason God gave children parents is to bless them. Parents are meant primarily to be a blessing to children. And the children God is saying in the fifth commandment are meant to recognize this again. God's wise ordering of the world he has made. I sometimes ask my children, do you know why God gave little children fathers? You see, I want them to think about this, to ask this question for themselves. Why they weren't just thrust into the world and then asked to live life all on their own, straight out of the womb. To realize how hard life would be if they as children didn't have me or their mother. If they didn't have parents. And this is especially important to me to add another personal word because I did not grow up with a father. And so I see how important it is. But God is saying to the children, I want you to to realize this and to see this. To honor your parents, to honor me. They should have a clear grasp of what God is doing. The way he is seeking to bless them and to train them. God isn't consigning children to a period of misery until they break free as adults and can do whatever they please. I know that's how so many children view it. And we can't be surprised to see the children who do always go wrong once they're adults. But that isn't what God is doing. God is placing children in a training ground, which we call the home, to prepare them to be productive and godly adults. Because children left to themselves are so foolish that they could never succeed in preparing themselves without the help of their parents. And so they ought to honor them in this sense by recognizing why it is that God gave them parents and placed their parents in authority over them and even gave the parents the right, unhappy to the children we all know, to discipline them when they are wayward. This is because God hates the children any more than the parents themselves, but it is because God loves the little children and he wants to set them right. Hebrews chapter five, excuse me, chapter 12, verse five, comparing our father in heaven to our fathers in the home. 
You've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, and it seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Well, this is how the Lord deals with us, he's saying. But it's also how the Lord prepares little children. It is through the discipline of their parents. Well, let me also notice here the importance uh, of natural ties. I'm, I mean of blood relations. Clearly, God is saying that is something which is important. He is describing in one specific sense what it is to be related to someone else. And that is it is to come from the same family. A child is someone who is related to his parents. That bond and that relationship is important. And if you ignore it and fail to honor it, then you are transgressing something that God wants. You are ignoring this relationship and this bond he has made. And what I'm saying is that we as Christians ought not to fall into the error of thinking that the effect of the kingdom of God is that it obliterates every kind of relationship uh, that God has made at the creation. We ought not to be so spiritual as to think the relationship and the bond of the family, the natural family, doesn't matter. What God is saying is that the natural family does matter. Natural relations do matter. And that fact is enshrined in the fifth commandment. Children, honor your parents. But this also tells us on the other side, how the parent is to view his relationship with the child, the mother and the father. The child, he realizes, is placed in his care for a reason. The child is from a very early age, helpless and dependent on the care of his parents. And the parent is not free to abdicate this responsibility simply because he finds it too difficult, because he finds it to be too much of a burden. This is a solemn duty which God has bound him to by providence and his word. And so his responsibility, he realizes, is, if anything, greater than that of the child. The child is to honor the parent. The parent is to care for the child. And there's no relationship more demanding and sacrificial than that of a parent. In addition to constant care and provision, there is the need for discipline, as we saw, but also of instruction. Once we realize that the home is to be a training ground for the children. The home is to be a place of learning. It is to be a place of order, a place of discipline. It is to be a place where the first principles of religion are laid down for what is hoped to be a lifetime of godliness. Do you know that the catechisms were primarily made, not for the church, but for the home? Well, are you using the catechisms for that reason? All of this is involved in the lawful authority which the parents possess in the home and which the children are called to honor. But there must also, with all true use of authority, be a measure of restraint and wisdom in the administration of parental authority and discipline, which is what we find Paul saying in Ephesians chapter 6 to the parents, or the fathers especially, don't discourage your children. Do not be overly severe. He says the same thing to masters. 
In other words, Paul recognizes what I think all parents recognize, and that's it's easy to get carried away and to abuse the power which God has given us over these little children. To discourage and to demoralize the child and to make their life misery. Children are a blessing from the Lord, but they're not given to us to do with them whatever we please. We must be careful to raise them in the Lord, to not only instruct them in Christian principles, but also in a Christian spirit. And in doing so, to restrain our own sinful and selfish tendencies as we parent our children, to be sensitive to their needs and and the state of their souls. But having said that, still speaking from the viewpoint of the parents, let me address certain extremes that are prevalent in our society and which have made their way into the church as well. Extremes that reveal the failure to grasp the biblical principle and the biblical picture presented here of a well-ordered home life. And one is that of, there's two, one is that of child worship, which is extremely common today. More and more, I find that parents worship their children in so many ways. So many parents, it seems, center the whole of their lives around their children. And the, the result of this is that the true relationship is turned on its head. When the children are called to honor the parents, in reality, what happens is that the parents honor the children and the children functionally make all the decisions. Another way to explain this phenomenon is is what is called today permissive parenting. Can you believe I'm being so practical? Well, here I am. Parents like this. uh, Parents like this. uh, The permissive parent view their job as allowing the children to explore the world and express their true selves. In such homes, invariably, there's little discipline and the children tend to run the show with the parents always at the mercy of the children. But again, this isn't why God gave children parents, nor is it why God gave parents children. The reason that God gave children parents was to train and to instruct them and to curtail their sinful tendencies, not to express their true selves, but rather In many ways, to suppress their own sinful tendencies and to create order in their disordered lives and outlooks. There are a few things more chaotic than the outlook of a child. Well, the whole purpose of parents is to restrict and to restrain, not to permit. But the opposite extreme is this, and that is child neglect. On the one end, you have child worship. On the other, you have child neglect, which is more common by far today. The whole tendency of the modern era, as I've said, is to minimize the importance of the family and especially the place and the blessing of children. And then to allow and ask others to do what was once done by the parents in the home. It's very common today for families to spend almost their entire weeks apart and for children from a very young age to practically be raised by others and not their parents. We might ask from a scriptural viewpoint whether this is right. And whether parents are being fair to their children when they do this. Again, when they allow others rather than themselves to raise them. So often I hear parents speaking of parenthood as though it were an insufferable burden. As though their every action and decision was calculated to spend as little time with their children as possible. I even find parents eager to take vacations without their children. It simply amazes me. 
For my part, I always ask myself why these people had children in the first place. Again, I would assert here on the authority of God's word that there is no greater blessing and no greater happiness found this side of heaven than in the home. A well-ordered home life. But again, be careful in this that you do not become guilty of the other extreme, and that is to worship the home and to worship the children in particular. But having said that about the home, the more narrow view, I want to say a few things about the broader view. The question of authority in society, which also includes not only the state, but the church. Again, the common understanding of what God is requiring of us in this command is a spirit of subjection to those in authority, which extends beyond our parents. It begins there, but it extends far beyond it. And thus we have such statements as we find, for instance, in Romans chapter 13. Let me read the first four verses. Which is also in its own way an application of the fifth commandment. He says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same for God. For he is God's minister to you for your good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath. Uh, on him who practices evil. Actually, verse 5 as well, I want to read. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also, he says, for conscience sake. Now, in this passage, you notice it's the same kind of argument I've been making uh, generally about authority. That the Christian is to be in subjection, not simply because uh, he has to, or because he's afraid of what will happen if he doesn't, but actually because he realizes it's what is best. He is uh, cognizant of the fact that God has made the world and he has organized and structured society in such a way that is meant in general to promote man's well-being. And so this is something which uh, he is in agreement about. Realizing it is best, he says, verse 5, that he does so as a matter of conscience, something he is conscience bound to do, again, in submission ultimately to God, because he realizes why it is that God ordained the state. Not as a way to hurt man, but as a way to help him. To restrain, in particular, his more evil tendencies. He imagines and realizes what life would be like if there were no authorities. And if there was no state. He realizes that the sinful tendencies of man would simply run wild. And so, like parents, God gave us rulers to help us. And to keep good order in society. And we, as Christians, recognizing this, are prepared and happy to obey. It's a matter of... Once more, of conscience. But then let me say this. There is nothing more common than for man to resent this relationship. I mean his relationship to the state. Whereas if you look at what God is describing in the fifth commandment, that is a relationship more or less I think we can say that man is happy about. Because of the natural affinity and the relationship with our parents, the, the, the sense of bond that we have with our parents. That, that is a way of making the command seem easier and less burdensome. But it isn't the same when you broaden it out 
and bring man into the realm of the state. The same affinity which he has with his parents does not exist in our minds toward the state. And more likely, rather than affinity, there is resentment. I'm speaking to a congregation of Americans. Well, as Americans, you know, we have what is called a healthy distrust of government. And that is something I would commend you for, since that power is so often abused by sinful men. I have no interest in arguing against that. Not a total, you see, but a healthy distrust. And yet, even still, that being our outlook, we should, we should examine our relationship to the state in light of the fifth commandment. And the first thing that I would notice, I want to say two things about this. The first thing is that the state is not the ultimate sphere. It does not possess an unlimited authority any more than the family is the ultimate sphere. Nor indeed the church. Upon each God has placed clear bounds. What I'm saying is that all human authority is limited And it is the duty of those in power as well as those in subjection to realize this, that there is no power in in, uh, human society which is unlimited. It's all limited. That authority is limited in two main ways. The authority is limited first to its precise function. The state is ordained to do certain things and it's transgressing its authority if it goes beyond that. Same with the family, same with the church. But it's also limited in the second way, and that is in its relation to the other spheres of authority. When that authority begins to brush up against the other sphere, then it begins to discover its limits. Not only that, but I would define a fourth sphere, and that is myself. There's the family, there's the state, there's the church, but then there's also me, myself. As one who lives before God and must give account. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 14. Each man must give an account to God for the life that he lived. And in one sense, no sphere is more ultimate than that or more important. And so you have all these spheres brushing up against each other. And as a result of this, there's more than one possible dilemma that we may face in trying to ascertain whether it is right to submit to a certain ordinance of the state or of the church. Uh, or elsewhere. Not every dilemma we discover as we live out the Christian life is a matter of choosing between man and God. It isn't always a matter of I must uh, serve God rather than man. A lot of the dilemmas we face are more refined than that. Sometimes it's just a question of whether the authorities that be have any right to ask something of you. Sometimes with the powers that be ask Something of you that isn't sinful in itself. And yet you still, while maintaining a spirit of respect for their lawful authority in place over you, do not obey a particular command. Simply, as I say, because they have no right whatsoever to ask it of you. And you are within your rights to refuse it. Now, an easy example of this would not be found in the realm of the state, but in the realm of the church. Suppose the elders told you who to vote for. Or if the elders told you where to send your children to school and they said, you know, you're supposed to submit to the elders. Well, do you have to submit to that? Well, you know, sometimes the elders do that sort of thing. I I don't mean here, but in other churches. But I would immediately say that you're right to disobey the particular command. Simply because you realize once more they have no right to demand such a thing of you. 
That they're transgressing the lawful bounds of their God-given authority. The submission which scripture requires you to render unto them does not include this. It does not give them the right to tell you who to vote for. It only includes submission to them in their proper authority, which is spiritual. But even then they might transgress it. If they said, for instance, just to give an absurd example, I want you to read your Bibles for four hours a day. You would recognize instinctively that they had transgressed once again the lawful bounds of their authority. And it would be no sin on your part to disobey their injunction. And all that I'm saying, using the illustration of the church and the elders and their relationship to you, is that the same thing often happens in the realm of the state. Although for whatever reason, we seem as Christians to be less willing to recognize this. We seem to think, according to Romans 13 in the fifth commandment, the state can ask anything it likes of you and that you ought to obey it, that you have to. Well, I don't think that's right. I think these kinds of dilemmas exist in all the spheres. And it's entirely possible that you as a citizen, in subjection to the powers that be, choose to ignore a certain command as a matter of conscience, or simply because you realize that they have no right whatsoever to ask this thing of you. Now, obviously, we have to be careful here, and Christians are bound to disagree over what qualifies as a legitimate objection. I'm only suggesting to you that there are such legitimate objections which you will immediately see once you recognize that all authority is limited, at least this side of heaven. But having said that, let me come to my second point with regard to the state uh, in, in, in its reflection and expression of the fifth commandment. We must immediately add that where there is no such objection, we must be prepared to obey. Scripture is far more interested in laying down the rules than considering the exceptions. I've been exploring the exceptions. But scripture is far more interested in the rules. And the rule is this, very simply, be in subjection. Live a life not of rebellion, but of obedience and reverence. Honor the powers that be. Honor those who are in authority, which means respect them, obey them. And do you know Calvin even adds a third category? I'm not sure I'm prepared to say this myself. He says, love them. And then recognize that God has ordered society in such a way as to restrain the sin of man. And that anarchy, which is the absence of order and the absence of government, is ultimately a rejection of God himself. The anarchist is a man who seeks to tear down the authority of God and the order of his creation. He is a man who rejects God, his lawful right to have any claim on our lives, which again, as we deal with so many competing philosophies in the present day, is the fundamental point all revolutionary ethics hold in common, which is a re rejection of God and his authority. Well, all that I'm saying is this. Let us not be guilty of that. Let us show that we are those who live in subjection to God himself and that we're happy about it. We are happy to be those who submit to God. His is an authority that we love and that we love to obey. And that we love to honor. And, we, and when we find that same authority over us in the home or in the church or in government, we ought not to resent it or to despise it. We ought to honor them, Paul says, as ministers of God himself. Such, indeed, is the Christian ethic as presented in the fifth commandment. Amen. And let us stand together in praise to God, singing hymn number 444.